Coming to you from USL headquarters, this is Steal Some Time. Here's the USL's Kelsey Steele. Welcome in to Steal Some Time. I'm your host, Kelsey Steele, joined by the one and only Scott Stewart. We're so excited to be here. This is it. This is it. Absolutely thrilled. I believe Drake put it best when he said that he flipped a switch, as have we. We are truly in. <laughs> yeah, just to give you an idea, we're going to be expecting a lot of that from Scott. So I, I know for uh, myself, I can't wait to hear what Scott has to bring to the table this entire uh, this entire season, year, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, series one. Series, series one. I mean, let's get into it. What we're going to do throughout these episodes is we're going to recap this past week, give, a, give our idea of... Uh, our take on what kind of went on in the past week of play. We'll have a an exclusive interview. Come on in and join us. Uh, and then Scott and I will give our take on one of our favorite moments across social media this past week. And then we'll give you a look at week 12 and then wrap up with probably the best part of the entire podcast, which is going to be a one-minute debate between Scott and myself that our fantastic producer, Matt Calvo, will drop the question and then Scott and I have 30 seconds each to kind of duke it out and uh, see who comes out on top there. So, Scott, what do you say? We just get right into it. Yeah, let's get in. So, I think we should talk about the West first. The West is tight, but after week 11, has a little bit of a new look. Do we want to talk about uh, Phoenix right now? On the rise, I believe, is one of their their monikers. Yeah, no no pun intended, right? As rising FC. Yeah, no, I mean, it's incredible. I think just a few weeks ago we were looking at them in, in like, 15th place. But Mm -hmm. if you looked at not only, not not just their former or the way that they were playing on the field, but, again, I think you alluded to it earlier, how close the West is naturally. Mm -hmm. Like, 15th and 4th, there was, like, a six-point gap, right? Mm -hmm. So now that we see Phoenix, they've won a couple straight, um, including an emphatic 4-0 on on Saturday night. And now I think that we're truly – beginning to see them sort of uh, really start to click, which is probably a scary thought and sight for the rest of the West. It hit the nail on the head there. I think Phoenix is finally starting to find this mojo. And I'll be the first one to say I didn't think it would necessarily take until week 12 to find that mojo because they have the weapons. And when you dig kind of into it and you look at the stats and you look at what these guys are bringing to the table, I mean, they're they're so offensive heavy. They have so many weapons. They've got guys like Asante and Flemings who both have five assists alone this season and Adam John with six goals, Flemings with five, Asante with four. So the offensive prowess is there and they've got guys like Kevon Lambert and, and you know, towards towards the back end that are so strong and so competitive. And I think it was just kind of waiting for that moment for them to really kind of break through and, and find that mojo. Um, I I think if I'm the West, rest of the Western Conference right now, I'm a little nervous. Yeah, and I mean, the, the 2-2 against New Mexico was as important as it was impressive for mm-hmm. Phoenix. I mean, it's, it's a really quality draw against the team that's obviously leading the West right now, and I'm sure we'll get into them. But to then to go out to Vegas and just absolutely, well, to host Vegas and to absolutely just wallop them. I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen some very, very good Vegas, and we've seen some not-so-good Vegas. And I think Vegas was probably middle of the road, but Phoenix was on their upper echelon of their spectrum of, hey, when we're clicking, we're, we're hot and we're difficult, and it's going to be a tough time if you come to casino sports field. So I think we saw some really good Phoenix on Saturday night. I think that they will trade an average start for a very, very solid middle and end. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know it, it'll be fun to look back in October when we know where they are heading into the playoff race, If of course, if they can continue to, to stay in this uh, vein of form. But um, it'll be fun to look back in October and say, hey, remember when they were 15th? And we were all kind of like, 
Phoenix, what are you doing, guys? Right. And we're all, we're all questioning the ability and, you know, whether or not that they can see a game, the complete 90 minutes. Yep. And uh, when it comes to November and we see them in the Western Conference final, they're going to say, you know, told you so. We, were, we always knew. We always say. knew. We always knew. And my, we knew you knew. My it's other okay. big storyline in week 11 is uh, New Mexico somehow continues to stay on top of the table. So can we talk about that a little bit this past week? So not only did they have championship play, they had open cup play as well, which, oh my God, between Phoenix and New Mexico, I can't wait for their second meeting. Yeah, and Cody Mizell, I think he's got a, he's a fantastic Mm -hmm. story, just kind of bouncing around and then landing in New Mexico and kind of somebody who has always had the prowess but has never maybe had the chance to truly shine in a, in a, in an environment like a New Mm -hmm. Mexico and then goes out and obviously pulls out what he's able to pull out midweek against Phoenix in the Open Cup and then again this weekend. I mean, he conceded a goal, but like, you look at the 10 in front of him and it's like, okay, we can afford one Cody's and Mizell error, mistake. One goal in because we've got Kevon Freider and we've got Santi Moar and these are the guys who run the show. Can we talk about Freider for a second? Oh because gosh. obviously Santi didn't play, didn't see play this past right. week because of the card. But Freider already, it is towards the end of May, already has two hat tricks already this season. And he's kind of that same, same storyline with Cody. He yep. was, you know kind of behind the scenes a little bit last year with Phoenix, didn't really have that one moment. And here he's having so many in New Mexico and has really come on and just shining in Albuquerque. Well, and I know Phoenix believed in him. And they started him in USL Cup last November when he had not had, I think he had had like 11 appearances all year. Mm -hmm. And yet he starts in the ultimate game of the season. I mean, I I know they saw what Freighter was capable of completing. And now in New Mexico, in this environment, whatever Troy Lacine's doing behind the scenes to, to keep that group as tight as they are, Freighter is clearly reaping the benefits of an incredible setup. And and the guy's on fire. I mean, he's your April Championship Player of the Month. He's making certainly a case for himself for May already. And, and it's been a fantastic run to see him sort of fly from the beginning. Yeah, flying is is an easy way to put it, I think. He's got 10 goals already this season, which is, for anyone who doesn't know, the highest in the league at the moment. And New Mexico alone, some cool facts here. Three of eight hat-tricks have come from New Mexico this season. So Santi obviously being the other one, we've already had more hat-tricks this season than all of 2013, which is really cool as well. I think it's a testament to the growth of the league as well, the level of talent rising in the league. Um, I've I've got some uh, some trivia I want to hit your way. So we'll make it easy. So last year, Ethan Zubak, Efren Alvarez were the only two with two hat-tricks, but... 2017, there was only one player in USL Championship play that had two hat tricks. Chandler Hoffman. No. Mm. Good guess. Yeah, I thought that would that would be a, a good run. Two hat tricks. Took a brief hiatus in 2018 from the league. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I think you, you might gazump me on this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Dane Kelly. Dane Kelly. Irina. Okay. Yeah, his, that actually makes a lot of sense. It makes a and lot I, of and sense. And I think we probably have still a couple Dane Kelly hat tricks to come this season. I, I, I think so, yeah. His two hat tricks in 2017 with against Phoenix and Tacoma and, again, uh, when he was playing for Reno. So in 2017 was a big year for Dane Kelly, Yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's really interesting. New Mexico continues to stay strong on top of the table. And speaking of top of the table, we've got a new look in the East 
after week 11. So New York had been up there for a few weeks now, but their time is over. Enter the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Top of the table this week. We've got we've got to talk about them and what they're, is they're going incredible. on in Tampa Bay. Yeah, they're incredible. I mean, you know, this is beginning to look like one of those sides where you go from just saying like, okay, impressive start. Let's see mm-hmm. what they're made of to how long can they keep this unbeaten run up, you know? And I think that's one of the most attractive prospects in the league right now all around. I mean, you have some teams playing incredible soccer in the vein of the two teams that we just spoke of, Phoenix and New Mexico. Those are two great examples. But the Rowdies maybe don't always do it in, like, the most fashionable way or, like, maybe the the prettiest brand. Mm -hmm. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with the results-based way that they're playing. And under Neil Collins, they're absolutely flying. You can see the difference in not only just getting a younger, fresher uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies team, but the locker room culture is obviously clearly one of the leading contributors to their success so far as well. So, I mean, you you have shining examples on the field in the form of Juan Tejada, Sebastian Guanzati, even defensively, uh, Pape Diakite, but it's it's the all-around, and John McCarthy deserves a shout there as well, but right. but it's it's sort of the all-around approach that the Rowdies have. You know, they are a complete team, and, and through the first 11 games, they have to be maybe the most impressive story in the championship so far, and, and that's, again, with the nod to the things that are happening in your New Mexico's, your El Paso's. Do you think that what we're seeing with the Rowdies right now is is a, a hint at what happens with a full year under Neil, Neil Collins' reign, you know, that he's finally kind of had the, the chance to for people to buy into his system? Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting question, right? I mean, I think you have, you have a player who was very well-respected mm-hmm. and very well-liked who – had to make a transition, I don't know, at, at maybe the the perfect time for him mm-hmm. into stepping in from a player to a coach role, seeing out the rest of the season, the Rowdies don't make the playoffs, but everything that happened this offseason, I think it's more just the Rowdies giving a person like Neil the tools that he needs to be able to succeed, to bring in the players that he needs, to play the way that he wants to. And and yeah, through 11 games, it's it's been nearly flawless. I mean, they've got five draws, and there's something to be said for that, but those five draws have been real grit and grind draws. Mm-hmm. They're not like luck of the draw type results. So I think that they're a fantastic story, and obviously getting a, a nice 2-0 on New York uh, on Saturday night was just, again, a testament to their, their, deter- or their determination and their diligence. Yeah, Tampa is is so impressive this year, and I mean they have the talent there to to, to prove it as well. I mean they're yep. they're playing extremely well. They're in great form. I think we're going to see a lot more of that come these next few months as well. After Week Eleven play, I I can't just hold it at the Rowdies though. We've we've got to give a little bit of a nod to Ottawa as well. Ten points in their last four games. Okay, Ottawa uh, up to six. <laughs> up up to six. Totally controlled the game against Bethlehem as well. We're talking like 60 percent yeah. possession. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's a really great former seeing Ottawa in and then I want to mention quickly too Indy hadn't won in their last three matches and then they were able to get a big one over Charleston this past week and I that's big able to move up three spots in the rankings as well yeah um, you know I think that's that was huge for Indy they needed that yeah and I think when just going back briefly to Ottawa I think they were unlucky to draw against New York. They had the lead into stoppage time, just mm-hmm. couldn't see it out. But to go to Bethlehem and put in a really quality performance, a nice solid 3-0, I, I think it was only a matter of time before Nikola Popovich got another very new-look group together and sat them down and said, hey, guys, this is who we are. This is what we're about. This is how we're going to play. And now Ottawa's starting to sort of find their way through that. 
For Indy, I think it's almost the exact opposite, where Rennie's there, his system is in place, they know who they are and what they want to be. Now it's just fitting in the new pieces to sort of work their way around that. And listen, they left it late, but a 1-0 against Charleston, that's an impressive result. And and whether it's home or away, Indy's going to take those three points and put them in their pocket, ask no more questions. And they're going to want that coming into this week. And uh, that'll do it, I think, for our for our wrap from week 11. We're going to take a short break here. But coming up after the break, Jeff Reuter of The Athletic is going to be joining us. And, you know, Reuter's done some really great work for The Guardian, ESPN FC, Sky Sports. I mean, he's, he's really, you know, well-versed across the board. But back in April, The Athletic announced it was going to be doubling its size of full-time soccer staff. Jeff was one of those acquisitions. And just to give you an idea, when soccer coverage was was announced with The Athletic just over a year ago, the organization only had one staff writer, two editors, and 50 or so give or take freelance contributors. So Jeff is really one of those guys that's kind of spearheading the soccer coverage right now, covers the Minnesota United beat, and now, of course, USL as well. So we're really excited to kind of have him on and hear what kind of pieces he has in the works. So we'll take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with an interview with Jeff Reuter. We are thrilled to welcome Jeff Reuter of The Athletic here, was our first ever guest on Steal Some Time. So Jeff, first off, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with Scott and I today. I know we're really excited to have you on board. Yeah, of course. Congratulations on the new show, too. That's, uh, that's You never forget your first episode. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I'd love to, uh, to dive right into kind of your role with The Athletic, how that came about. I mean, I know a lot's changed in this last year with The Athletic as a whole. So I'd love to kind of go back to square one with you and, um, you know, how that really came to be. Sure. Yeah, I got my start cutting, covering soccer uh, during Minnesota United's tenure with the NASL. So it was a lot of time, you know, covering teams like Tampa Bay, covering teams like Ottawa, like then they were called the Carolina Railhawks, you know, uh, but really getting a sense of soccer, the importance of it, the vitality of it within a community and within the country as a whole, what it can do for players, for coaches looking to hit that next level. So I was able to kind of catch the bug. And then when, um, the team went to Major League Soccer. I've been covering more of it, so I, I was freelancing at the time. But in general, a lot of covering soccer in the United States requires freelancers to pitch stories, um, which means that for, for most of it, you know, unless it was my Minnesota United beat, national stories, it would always be what grabs a publication's eye more. What do editors find as uh, you know the, the, the juiciest scoop that you can possibly give them. And so it really kind of steered me away a little bit, which was uh, unfortunate. And I had to kind of focus more on, you know, the U.S. men failing to qualify for the World Cup, Major League Soccer, who's the latest designated player, things like that. Um, when The Athletic rolled around and when George Qureshi joined as the managing editor last summer, uh, it, it signaled a shift where there was much more focus not just on the everyday story. But, you know, let's talk to players, uh, players that might not be the biggest stars in Major League Soccer, in the NWSL, in the USL, and really get a sense of what they're about. Let's look at these teams that other publications aren't covering. Um, And eventually, as has been abundantly aware, on April 1st, three of us joined as staff writers, myself, Pablo Marver, uh, out of D.C., and Matt Pence in Seattle, uh, joining Paul Tenorio, who had already kind of been heading up uh, as the staff writer of the soccer coverage. And then two weeks later, we announced Felipe Cardenas down in Atlanta and Sam Stekel from the league website, and then uh, Meg Linehan as well, heading up our women's soccer coverage. So being able to have 
that staff means that, you know, every Monday morning, every Wednesday morning, we're on the phone, we're talking about all the stories that we're working on. We're saying, hey, I'm working on this story with a national focus, but you're based out of Minnesota. Could you go talk to head coach Adrian Heath? So it's really more collaborative. Uh, but as part of it, it also means that we are increasing our USL coverage, which is something I'm very excited about. Um, and so that's that's something that I think I'm uh, really looking to dive into. I've already written about El Paso. I've already written about uh, Sacramento. I've got a couple pieces in the can about Reno, about uh, Nashville. So you know, it, it's become a lot of fun to just look beyond what most publications are saying. This is the soccer we're covering, and really look at the leagues that honestly have as big of a following. If you look at the number of markets that USL is in, um, it, it's a really exciting time, and I think that that vote of confidence from The Athletic is really encouraging for soccer media in general. Where do you see this expanded coverage? I mean, for The Athletic alone, we're talking about the staffing size doubling compared to this time last year, which is huge. So, I mean, when you look at the future of North American soccer, I mean, it's got to be bright when you when you look in terms of that, right? It, it's certainly growing. It's so hard to forecast. You know, I mean, like four years ago, we were all assuming that Soccer was, what, three years away from overtaking baseball as the third sport in the United States. And then the men missed the World Cup, and suddenly that kind of stunts things a little bit. 442 got rid of their U.S. branch in the aftermath of it, which left Paul Tenorio as a free agent and a couple of others. So I think that it is certainly on an upswing. Getting that bid for the 2026 World Cup was huge. Getting a much more stable uh, lower division pyramid has been massive. I would argue it's less confusing to figure out what's the second division, what's the third. That's much more clear cut. And in general, I think that not just MLS, but the USL, um, the League One, League Two, they're all improving. You know, and I think that if you're looking at the quality, players are finding opportunities to play. Media people are finding ways to cut their teeth and be able to, you know, start covering their local team and then branch out to regional and branch out to national or whatever. Um, I really do think that that foundation is finally in place where you're really starting to see true growth on all sides of the game. And that foundation honestly makes things like the Open Cup a really fun tournament to to watch as a fan, honestly, not even just somebody who works in the sport. But I'd love to hear about your position with Open Cup. What do your responsibilities look like as part of the athletic? Well, with the Open Cup, I, so I'm heading down to Des Moines, actually, or I will have gone to the game in Des Moines by the time you listen to this, uh, when they played against St. Louis FC. And let me tell you, that result was surprising. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that it's a lot of fun because then you're able to, you know, see some of these teams like Villagers. Uh, you're able to see um, FC Motown out of the Bronx. You know, you're able to see all of these teams from across the country that you would never really focus on otherwise. And I love nothing more than an underdog story. I loved the year where FC Cincinnati took on Miami FC as the NASL and the USL uh, clashed in the quarterfinals of the Open Cup. So for me, it, it means that ESPN Plus has become one of my closest friends uh, as I'm streaming both um, MLS and USL, and now the US Open Cup as well, just kind of when I'm writing, it's on background. Uh, it gives me a lot more to watch, and it, it really does open up uh, the opportunities for coverage uh, just in terms of, you know, if Christos FC goes on another run or some other team does a Christos-like run because they aren't in the tournament this year, uh, there's potential for that. A game like Des Moines-St. Louis is suddenly on my radar um, as potential content because the Open Cup is much more accessible to viewers. People aren't just trusting that you're saying a player played well. They can go back, they can watch the tape, and 
they can have discussions about that. I think it's all really exciting, and that ESPN Plus component is so huge for getting that tournament to have greater prominence in the United States. Yeah, I think that's a big kudos to the U.S. soccer in, in taking uh, that initiative as well to make it a lot more accessible to the average viewer. I think at that point, you're expanding it well beyond the the average soccer fan of just one team per se and really making it open to, uh, you know, the country. Yeah, and before that, I mean, they, they did try hosting YouTube stream links directly through the U.S. soccer website. But most of the time, I couldn't find those on YouTube, which means I couldn't Chromecast it onto my TV. And a lot of times, the the stream, something would go wrong. You know, it's not a, a video website. That's not what the U.S. website should do. So with this ESPN Plus component, it's something that MLS fans had already started to invest in, given MLS Live's prominence there. It's something USL fans had started to invest in once the championship and League One started streaming on there. And so you've already got... A- a glut of soccer fans with subscriptions who are familiar with the format and you're suddenly just kind of sliding it over to a much more accessible, cleaner, um, cleaner looking broadcast. I think it, it really was a good step. Yeah, I mean, access is key at the end of it. I have to know, you drop a name like FC Cincinnati. You know, they had that historic run in 2017. Then even Louisville last year made it to the uh, the quarterfinal. Do you have a lower division team that in your opinion, has the ability to make a run of, of that uh, of that level this year? I think there are a few. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a big admirer of what El Paso is trying to do uh, with Mark Lowry's system, with the, the, you know, the quick passing, the possession base, instead of just going route one all the time. Uh, I, I think that with Jerome Kiesewetter being there, uh, that certainly helps. The fact that he's a domestic for the competition means that when the, the limit on international players on a game day roster cuts down to five like it does for the Open Cup, they don't have to worry about, do we play our striker? Do we play one of our midfielders, our defenders? You know, it really does open up possibilities. Uh, I mean, Louisville, I think, is always going to be a strong team. It's been a bit of a slow start for them this season. But, uh, I mean, there's just so much talent. Hackworth and Cruz have got a good thing going on the coaching side of it. Um, I mean, if I'm looking, like, there's just it, – it's – a much more competitive league from top to bottom. I think I looked at the table and like the difference between fourth place and 12th place in the Western conference is three points. It's just such every single game is a better uh, tune up for some of these teams that really want to go on a cup run. Um, I think there, there's a lot of teams that I would look at as having that kind of potential. New Mexico's doing great things uh, out in the East, Tampa, Nashville, you know, a lot of talent on those rosters. So honestly, it's to the point now where it goes from, wow, it's surprising that Louisville, FC, Cincinnati have made this run, to I would be surprised if there wasn't a USL team in the quarterfinals of this year's Open Cup. I love that. And it kind of taps into what you were saying earlier about the level of competition just being so high now in North America that there's there's such a high level of talent at every level, which makes the Open Cup so much fun. Oh, it's, it's one of my favorite types of soccer to watch. Uh, just, you know, when, especially when you're at these levels where it's teams in different leagues. I love that. I love seeing the underdog. I love seeing... Teams that expect to walk in, maybe rotate the squad a little bit, and suddenly get caught 1-0, and they're, they're clamoring, and these squad players who are trying to increase their minutes in MLS or USL Championship are suddenly really duking it out with a team that's one or two runs in the pyramid lower than them to try to prove that 
you know, they didn't blow it. it it's, it's such a fun tournament. The, some of the stadiums that you see, some of the parks that some of these uh, lower division teams are playing and are just so cool, kind of that Sunday league feel too. Um, if you if you haven't caught U.S. Open Cup fever, uh, get on it and <laughs> get on early because uh, you don't want to miss this bandwagon. You drop a team like New Mexico United, who has really taken the USL championship by storm this year. I mean, I don't think anybody was expecting that kind of effect to happen out in New Mexico. And yet they're a team that has uh, matched up against Phoenix. And there's a few of those as well that, you know, you see these interconference matchups in the Open Cup. Is that something that you're for? Because there's been a lot of negative attention, I think, around that is whereas, especially in this Western Conference play right now, it's, it's so competitive that it's it's kind of a tough draw yeah it, it, the draw is such a crucial part of all of this especially if you're a team in league one in the in league two the npsl you know you you really are having to start gofundmes if you get a draw and you have to fly across the country i think when we get to a certain point of the competition maybe the round of 16 uh where at that point usually it is mls and championship teams exclusively yeah then shuffle it up get rid of regional and let's 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 put the philadelphia union against phoenix rising let's see how that goes let's see how uh, New Mexico can hang with the Red Bulls. But honestly, the regional component, it is so necessary for these early points. But I mean, like you look at uh, the El Paso's first game was against forward Madison. It's the same time zone, but is that really regional? I don't think so. So I think that they're starting to loosen that up a little bit. But um, it, as long as teams are able to afford that trip, I absolutely think that, uh, yeah, let's shuffle the deck a little bit further. I love that take. And I want one more hot take from you here, Jeff. Come November, who who's going to be the final two at the end here? Oh man, uh, this will age well. Um, let's <laughs> see. I um, in the East, I know that Red Bulls two have been really hot. I love what John Lennox's doing, but I think if they can hold on to every player who's been informed to start the season, and then maybe they can add one or two key pieces in the summer. I love what the Tampa Bay Rowdies are doing. I think that that was a huge win on ESPN2 when they beat Nashville in Nashville 1-0. You know, it shows what Neil Collins is trying to do. It shows the, the kind of defensive fortitude, keeping the back lines sturdy, having Pape Diakite uh, leading that component, and then just really taking your chances when you get them. You know, if they can add a little more creativity, I really think that they could be uh, the, the team to beat in the East. In the West... Um, I mean, I like New Mexico. I do still have something. You alluded to the questions we all had before the season. I still have some of those questions. It's just still so early. It might be a year early for El Paso, but I do think that they're going to be competitive like that. Um, but Matt, you'd be, I, I think at this point, I'm still looking at Phoenix rising, uh, as a, as a key contender in the Western Conference. I think Sacramento's going to wake up at some point. Reno's had a fantastic start to the season. Um, so I think that the West truly is wide open. It is the Wild West. And I think that that's fantastic. I could probably name like 12 teams in the conference that I think have a chance of making it to USL Cup. So just on the virtue of me failing to pick a Western Conference finalist confidently, I'm going to say the Tampa Bay Rowdies are winning USL Cup this year. And to be fair, Jeff, this has kind of been the running theme at USLHQ these last, I don't know, month and a half, is that no one knows what the heck's going on in the Western Conference. It is so up in the air. We just keep waiting for that one team to kind of break through as the leader. And it, I mean, it, it makes it fun. I mean, we can at least give it that. The games are exciting. Um, but I, I love that insight. I, I love the fact the Athletic has really taken a plunge here to expand soccer coverage in North America and especially here for the championship. And 
And um, we're, we're really looking forward to seeing some of these pieces that you have down the line for, for the championship and USL as a whole, Jeff. So I really appreciate you being here today and, and uh, being part of the debut of Steal Some Time. It's, uh, it's an exciting time here at USL. It is. No, it really is. I'm really looking forward to following along and adding this to my uh, weekly rotation of podcasts. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for uh, having me and I hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. And Jeff, you're to kick things, uh, kick things out. Where can our fans follow you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Reuter, R-U-E-T-E-R. Love it. Thanks, Jeff, so much. And uh, we'll be hearing from you soon, I'm sure. Sounds great. All right, welcome back into Steal Some Time. We're going to move into our social moment of the week part of our podcast, which, you know, Scott and I are very well versed in the social media world. You'll see us kind of in and out of there week in and week out. So we figured what what better way to kind of give our nod to what's going on throughout the USL and pop culture in general than uh, to talk about our favorite moment from this past week. And I think it has to be the, the Tulsa Roughnecks <laughs> FC thread. So for those of you that didn't see from this past week, uh, um, we had a very close call on the groom not showing up for his wedding. So Rodrigo da Costa was scheduled to get married this weekend in Miami, Florida. And with all of the storms and everything going around, he wasn't able to get a flight out after his game. So who other to save the day than Roughnecks athletic trainer Jonathan Milwe personally saved the day and maybe the marriage uh, of this fine couple and uh, this thread honestly really took off on social scott yeah it's kind of skyrocketed and for good reason i think it's yeah. an incredible story you know those those guys your athletic trainers your ops guys they are sort of your duties as a sign type mm-hmm. people and i mean nod to them driving you know four and a half hours to get to dallas forward just to get this guy out to florida i mean um, yeah, it's one of those stories where you almost don't want to have to tell it because you would rather just things go smoothly right, and everybody's right. life be all like all okay. But uh, yeah, it's an incredible story out of Tulsa, and obviously we're we're thrilled for Rodrigo and uh, now Mrs. DaCosta um, that they were able to uh, tie the knot anyway. And not only did he have to, you know put on his cape and save this wedding but he also had to figure out how to get 21 players and coaches yeah. back to Tulsa as yeah. well which is just it's unreal and and for those of you who don't know Scott previously worked with Louisville City FC so he's been on that team side as well and has kind of seen what the ops guys and, and the trainers go through day in and day out and it's not nearly as much recognition as they deserve now good goodness now I think that those are those are the integral faces that you don't see nearly as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you can ever credit, especially the ops guys and the athletic trainers. I mean, I single those two people out specifically because, especially at the championship level, you know, you have a small staff. You don't have five ops guys and three trainers running around. You normally have an ops guy and an athletic trainer. And everything that the coaching staff can't do, everything that the players need, that falls between two people, right? right. And so you, you rarely get to you know, give these guys a big public pat on the back and like celebrate them and they probably wouldn't want it anyway. Um, but these are the guys who do a, the, a lot of the work that goes unseen, but certainly could never go unnoticed. And if it 
if it wasn't there, if it didn't exist, then it would be an eyesore and a lot would go wrong. So, hey, Rodrigo, um, I know that you're probably have thanked <laughs> Jeff quite a few times already, but but one more pat on the back when you get back to Tulsa. And I just want to throw in there, too, kudos to the misses there ah, for yeah. being patient. and uh, Trust the process. <laughs> Trust the process. Trust the process. And, uh, you know, Tulsa come out of that one with the draw. They'll be back on the road this coming week. And speaking of week 12, we've got a few matches that, you know, we want to talk about as well. First and foremost, we've got an ESPN game of the week this week on Wednesday on ESPN News. So Birmingham and Nashville going to be going head to head there. They met in the preseason, but they haven't met yet in USL championship play. I mean, what what are your thoughts around that match, Scott? Birmingham had a very interesting nil-nil this weekend. Um, saw f- a player sent off down to 10 men, Femi Hollinger-Jansen at center back. They're, they're experimenting right now, trying to still find probably their best 11 to, to go through, whereas Nashville has had a, a few midweeks already. We saw them most recently in the ESPN game of the week on ESPN2 against Tampa Bay and ended up falling in that contest at home. Now they go to Birmingham with sort of the idea of, we need to start accumulating some points if we really want to, you know, establish ourselves as an Eastern Conference powerhouse. The one-one against Charlotte on Saturday night, because it's at home, probably not the result they're looking for. So, to be able to go to Birmingham, have another shot at picking up an important three points, especially midweek, and you go to Indy on Saturday. This is kind of a big game. Speaking of Indy as well, that's going to be my game to watch this week. I think that one. Um, I honestly think it might end in like a nil-nil draw. I don't. I don't. Oh, know. very well. Could. Yeah, very well could be. Um, but I think both of these two teams have the tools, and either one of them could make a serious run come November. Um, it's the first time they're playing each other too, so I think it's going to be kind of interesting to see how these two align. Because I'll be the first one to say when we're talking preseason, I thought these two were going to be the front runners. Yep. I mean, it, that certainly was the look about it. That that Indy was coming back with. Mm-hmm. They've added all these attacking pieces: Ilya Ilich, Thomas Nedevols, and Dane Kelly, who we've spoken about enough uh, so far. Nashville, the same way. Cameron Lancaster, Daniel Rios coming in. I mean, they've they Carlton Belmar as well. They've both of them have stacked their attacking forces. And yet we're both sitting here saying, well, this could be a nil-nil. Right, right. And that's just the way that it shakes out sometimes. But, yeah, it's a huge week for Nashville. Indy certainly uh, not going to pull any punches at home either. And into the Western Conference as well. There's a few that actually kind of pop out to me, but the one I'm going to mention is uh, Portland and El Paso. Uh, and I know, you know, Jeff Ruder talked a little bit about that during his interview. He's a big El Paso guy and uh, opened my eyes a little bit, I think, to El Paso after that conversation. But listen, Kisa Vetter has had a brace in his last three games, okay? I mean, this guy is rolling in they haven't lost since April 13th. So yeah. They're going into a, a Portland side that's been very consistent, very on top of, the, you know, right near that top of the table. I think that one's going to be really good. I think Reuter just knows something. Yeah. I think Reuter know. knows something that we don't as much. But listen, Mark Lowry's team, they're, they're finally coming together, right? And I think that mm-hmm. it's another case of if they start slow, but they have a strong middle and a strong end, then you won't mind as much, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the 3-1 over Sacramento over the weekend was obviously significant for them. They're able to keep their show rolling. I think for me, I've got one eye on on Austin hosting New Mexico Mm -hmm. just because I feel like something weird could happen. You know, I feel like New Mexico could come out on the other side and it could be a a run-of-the-mill show, but Austin at home, man, they've they've pulled off some um, interesting results so far, and I think that maybe there's a a case to be made that they could, uh, I don't know, surprise some people on Saturday. I know this is an awful analysis, but 
Austin is just weird. They are. I, I can't figure this team out. They've had some moments where they look really, really good, and some other ones where I'm like, what? What are you guys doing? You yep. know, it's yep. so I I agree with New Mexico on the road as well. They're gonna have a long stretch here come you know June and July being on the road as well. So a lot of tests coming up for New Mexico too. So this is kind of foreshadowing that a bit. But yeah, I I also agree. I think that one's gonna be a really good match. Well, and it's just going to Colorado is different than going to Austin, yeah. right? And and that's no knock on the switchbacks who have themselves have had some interesting results, especially at home uh, throughout the season so far, but. I just think there's something to be said about New Mexico or yeah, New Mexico just having to adjust again on the road. They've had this stretch of three games in six days, technically, with the Open Cup in the middle of it. They finally got a full week to recover, but then they're right back in it. Mm-hmm. As soon as they go to Austin, I think they're back at home for the Open Cup again, and then obviously they'll have a, a game that following weekend. So this is sort of the, the stretch where you say, okay, New Mexico, how much load can you handle right. so far? Right. And you've, you've obviously been impeccable throughout the season to week 11, but now we've got the Cup competition coming in. You've got more games coming through, and and I don't know if it'll be good for the legs, good to have some rotation, but obviously they have some questions to answer. Lot to come in week 12. Lot Super to come. excited about that. Before we wrap today's show, you guys, this is going to be one of the most interesting parts of the show, week in and week out. It's our uh, shots fired debate. So our producer, Matt Calvo, is going to drop a question on air. Scott and I each have 30 seconds to duke it out, get, say our piece, and then. Matt will will choose a winner. Oh God, here we go. <laughs> this is bias. This is okay. So for those of you who don't know, Scott Stewart is hands down the biggest Game of Thrones fan I have oh, ever met in my entire life. This is a Game of Thrones. At thing. some point, I I've hope seen the show. I am passionate enough about something <laughs> in the way in the way that Scott Stewart is about Game of Thrones. <sighs> So, in honor of ending of Game of Thrones, Mm. this is going to be our uh, shots fired question of the day. Game of Thrones is ending, A, way past when it should have, B, at just the right time, or C, too soon, I want more. Wow. And 30 seconds is my limit here. I think that's an egregious, uh, an egregious structure. All right. I don't know. Do you want to lead? Do you uh, want to lead so you can make your make your case first? Uh, yeah. So this yeah, this is kind of where Scott and I disagree. We don't disagree on many things. Yeah. Um. This this would be it. All right. Um. All right. Hit me, Calvo. We're on the clock. Game of Thrones <laughs> went too long. There are so many great things happening in the world. Ten years of my life, I've had to deal with Game of Thrones on Twitter, on social media, all of this stuff going on. Listen, last night, Bachelorette's back, baby. Bachelor series. Give it to me. There's way too much going on. There's way too many characters. I can't keep track of all the names. I need a guide to get me through. No TV show should have to have a guide. It should end when it was good. Instead, it drawed out. I'm over it. I'm done. Goodbye, Game of Thrones. An impressive 30 seconds. (laughs) And right on the dot, too. (laughs) It's terrifying. Calvo, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. So listen, Game of Thrones clearly has not gone on long enough. I think they needed more time. I think that the the last two seasons, seven and eight, should have gone longer. I think they had a lot of plot armor, and the the show writing was probably a little lazy and probably a little rushed, which is, again, why they should have had a little bit more time to flesh it all out. But here's the best part. It's been on your TV screens for the last 10 years. It will be on your TV screens for another 10 years as all these prequel shows and all these Game of Thrones spinoffs come. So listen, Game of Thrones, take all the time you need. We're here. I promise. Can I say something? My hands raised. Yeah. Um, 
What do you mean they needed more time to write? They had a whole year yeah, to they need write more time, the last though. season. Listen, listen, for all the storylines, and I know I'm on a 30-second limit, so I'll, I'll get this out quickly. For all the storylines there are, to, to properly wrap this show up, they would have needed at least five more years. And Kit Harrington's not Jon Snow for five more years, you know? Amelia Clark's not Daenerys Targaryen for five more years, clearly. Spoiler alert. Clearly. All right, Matt. What do you got? Go for, the, for those of you who can't see, Kelsey Steele, the very first winner of Shots Fire Debate on Steele sometime. So this is some host bias, and I will be back next week. Put it on the board. What a great first episode, Scott. I had so much fun. Thank you guys for all. If you made it through the end, thank you for, for hanging out with us and talking a little soccer, USL, Game of Thrones, whatever it may be. We'll be back every we'll be back. single Tuesday to talk a little bit more. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking forward to a heck of a season. Let's keep it going. All right. You guys have a good one. Mm-hmm.